Welcome to the Marketing Home, Marketing You podcast. Week after week, Barbara Savona of Sprout Marketing brings you quality conversations with industry leaders, mini marketing workshops, and step-by-step guides on everything marketing, business, and career growth. So grab a cup of coffee and get ready for some outside-the-box ideas from the girl that lives inside the shipping container box. All right, friends, welcome to this week's episode of the Marketing Home, Marketing You podcast. My host today is Mike Brewer, COO of The Radco Company and longtime podcast host of Multifamily Collective, or like we like to call him, the OG of multifamily podcasting. Welcome, Mike. Thank you, Barbara. I really appreciate being on. (laughs) I'm so excited. I've gotten to be on your podcast, and it has been a longtime goal of mine to have you on mine. So today we're finally going to have this conversation. I'm excited. (laughs) So for those that don't know, can you just share a little bit about your role and maybe the day-to-day of what what a day looks like for you? Yeah, certainly. Um, So I I am the chief operating officer at the Radco Companies, and the Radco Companies has uh, both an investment division and uh, operating division. We also have some companies underneath that, like construction and and others. But uh, day in the life of Mike, let's see. Um, I am running generally from uh, office to office or in, say, the last two years from video conference to video conference to video conference. Um, generally putting out fires and or anticipating where we might be going off the rails as a business and putting uh, policy procedure uh, in place so that we don't do that. So uh, I consider myself sort of a counselor slash project manager slash uh, forecaster in a way. That, okay, that's great. I was thinking like professional problem solver because there you, go. Goodness, you are like, kind of dealing with current situations, but you're always also keeping one foot, one eye on the future potential for risk as well. Is that right? That That's right. If you're not looking out around the bend, you, you could, uh, there's an old baking term, you could get cooked in the squat, right? Um, mm-hmm. If you, if you're not looking out there and paying attention to what is happening on the horizon, you uh, you can definitely get your business off the rails pretty quickly, especially with the rapid pace of technology changing uh, these days. That feels like a lot of pressure. So how do you, is that something that you thrive on or is that something that you've learned to manage? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Uh, let's say I have learned to manage it over a long bit of time. I think that um, not to get TMI, but if I go back to my childhood, I grew, grew up in a very broken home and it, and it was a lot of um, survival, so mm-hmm. to speak, and a lot of problem solving as it related to the environment that I grew up in. And so I think I just carried that into my life. And because I was raised in a lot of chaos, I sort of uh, was attracted to chaotic moments or chaotic, uh, chaotic scenarios. And because I had these problem solving skills that were a result of that upbringing, I, I very much liked that kind of thing. I very much like uh, solving problems um, or going where the problem is and seeing if I can help. I love the backstory and that you're willing to share that. I think not to TMI at all. To me, that really shows how, you know, sometimes people feel like they're defined by their home environment and don't really see, you know, even young ones that are listening. Sometimes I think that's such a cool thing to be able to say that you can take maybe a trauma or a stressful thing that happened but now apply it to a skill set that you picked up, maybe not by choice, but you picked it up for survival. 
That's right. Yeah. And I, I relate to that a lot too. So you go to where the problems are because you are a creative problem solver, but what about routines? Are you a routine person? Yeah. So again, under the, under the umbrella of TMI. So I, uh, I was diagnosed with Asperger's as an, as an adult, so high on the spectrum. And so routine is a very important part of my life in terms of functioning, um, partly for myself, but I think more so for the people that I work with, yeah. <laughs> uh, because I can get very, I, if I get wildly out of routine, um, I can seem sporadic um, it, as it relates to being a leader. So routine is important to me for a couple of different reasons. The first being showing up in the world as the best version of me for other people. Um, specifically speaking, I like I wake up every day at 445, I make my bed, I, I run, uh, I eat the same thing for breakfast every day, but that's all part of what I call prime time. So mm-hmm. from six to eight in the morning, I have this thing called prime time. I go through those exercises, and those routines to get myself uh, primes for the day so that I can show up uh, as the best version of myself for other people. Um, but yeah, routines are very important to me. So routines to show up for the, to, as the best version, why is showing up as the best version of yourself so important to you? It, so I've seen the alternative, right? When I've not shown up as, as my best uh, self for my children, my wife, the people that I work with, and it's the downside of that is pretty dramatic. So I think for, um, I guess what I would say is for uh, feeling like I've made a contribution in the world that is of value um, and healthy and psychologically healthy for those that I work with. That's why it's important to me to, to use your word trauma. So that environment that I did grow up in was very traumatic. And if I were to let those pieces of the, the Mike Brewer out into the world, it, it could be a very destructive thing. So I think it's important because I don't want to be that person. I want to be the converse of that. And I want to be sort of that story of, hey, even though, right, you can show up in the world and be a beneficial presence and have a benefit, uh, a beneficial uh, impact on people. That's beautiful. So the, the, the thought that I just kind of gleaned from that is that it is a choice and you're making a choice that routine, it might sound frivolous to somebody else, or it may not seem like such a big deal, but for you, that's a critical component of making a choice to be the person that you want to show up. And that's huge for the identity of the Mike Brewer that you, you know, you want to be known as. And I think that's really incredible. And I hope that what people get from that is that it is a choice, right? So even if you're in a situation right now where you don't love your leader or you don't respect where you're working, the next, what you do the next minute, the next hour is always a choice. That's right. I, that brought to mind a a quote from Viktor Frankl, uh, Man's Search for Meaning is the book. And so there, the the space between catalyst and response, right? It it can be this, it can be a split second, or it can be a lot of time, right? But that that response, that space in between, is so important to pause, right? It's your chance to pause before you actually do something, say something, or show up as something that you will regret at some point. We'll come back to bite you. Yeah, that's so good. The power in the pause. So kind of talking along the, 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 you know, the subject of even time, 
with someone that's got so much going on, you're managing so many different hats under that role of COO. How are you setting priorities to make sure that at the end of the day, you feel like you've made the most of, the, of your time and showed up the best way possible? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So I do use a lot of tools. Uh, I use a mindful journal. Uh, in this mindful journal, there there is a daily sort of a task or priority list on the left-hand side. There's a, you know, six o'clock in the morning to six o'clock at night on the other side. So call it a calendar. Um, I keep an ongoing to-do list that is just a giant list of things that need to be accomplished. I also keep a to-don't list. It's just as a reminder of things that I don't want to do that sometimes creep in, right? Um, and I, I look at that on a monthly basis. But my giant to-do list is always prioritized. I generally do that every Sunday night and I pick off the top 15 things that need to be accomplished during the week. And I only focus on three things every day, whatever the three things that are the top priorities in order for me to feel accomplished at the end of the day, I have to tackle those three things. Therefore, those three things get set at the top of the calendar. I have do not disturb time built into my calendar. Um, and that is my focus work time. And it's non-negotiable. You can't set meetings on top of it. I will not take meetings on top of it. <laughs> Unless a building is burning down or someone has just uh, been hurt really badly, I will not violate that that time to do those top three projects. So you've set up systems to really support you in doing that deep work, that most important work. Now, do you go back and audit? You said Sunday you kind of set up for the week, but afterwards, do you have a like a after the week kind of an auditing system? So. That auditing system is built into one of my daily routines, which okay. is every night. So every morning I journal, but every night I ask myself, I do two things. One, I ask myself, what did I learn today? And so the, the audit is really built into the question, right? What did I do today? Or what did I learn today rather? So I think back through the day and I literally write down. So at the end of the year, I have 365 lessons that I've taught myself through experience, mostly some mistakes that I made during the course of the year. and I try to create better behaviors through better systems or processes or disciplines or routine. The other thing that I do is uh, gratitude journaling is a huge thing for me. So I write down at least three things every day without fail, uh, things that I've been grateful for during the day. So I can critique myself and then I can be grateful for things. <laughs> what a great counterbalance. That is such a good way to kind of do it. So curiosity just is getting the best of me. Have you always been a journaler or is this something that you picked up recently? So this dates back to, I think I was 23 or 24 years old when I started. I'm 51 today. So I've got 20, whatever, whatever the math is. I, I, I wasn't great at math. Um, whatever the math is, I've been journaling that long, uh, pretty religiously. And how important is it getting your thoughts on paper? Pen to paper. So I tried journaling and like typing it into uh, an app and those sorts of things. I can't do it. Um, so I, I think that's the gist of your question. Pen to paper is yeah. super important and doing it day or in the morning and at night are, are very important as well. It's very cathartic, isn't it? Just to like see your thoughts come out on paper and almost like they're, they can rest there. Th that's right. Yeah. It does make me fearful that if anyone ever dug into my journals and I <laughs> Okay, so I have my journals in my husband's gun safe. So just FYI, I don't know if you ever heard anything that crazy, but I'm like, I don't need anybody ever reading these. <laughs> no, no, 
I'll, I'll have to plead ignorance if everyone anyone ever gets a hold of those things I'll plead ignorance exactly. it's my handwriting I don't know <laughs> exactly who wrote this so how do you then right now I know we talked just a little bit off camera your company is in a time of rapid growth so I'm sure things just start to get crazy how do you deal with times of rapid growth in your role yeah, so I, I think the most important principle that you have to put in place in an organization, and it's something that we've we've learned the hard way, you have to invest in growth. And the investment in growth is mostly in the way of human resource, right? Bringing in the right talent. But most of the time when you're in growth mode, you're, you're working behind, from mm-hmm. behind, right? Oh my goodness, we're taking on 10 deals. We better go out and get a regional. We better get two. We better get, right? And you're just doing it from behind and rushed and you end up, sometimes making hiring decisions that aren't the best. Um, So I think we're very thoughtful and mindful of what we want to be when we grow up and the type of growth that we want and the, I guess, manageability, if that's a word, of that growth. So we put a lot of time into putting the infrastructure in place ahead of time. And so we, we take on the burden of costs in the regional roles or the regional vice president roles, or even the, the service roles, marketing roles. We just hired a wonderful new marketing, a senior marketing director. Uh, we're doing that in advance of growth. So the most important principle is put it in place ahead of time, because trying to do it from behind is just not, uh, not good. That is such a good piece of advice. So it's almost like it's planned rapid growth with a strategy in place. So yeah, there might be a little bit of an acceleration, but You've got the resources in place and the players knowing what to do mostly. Would you would you say that's true? I would say that is, yes, largely true. And and we even use a tool. We forecast our growth. We make pretty conservative estimates uh, or assumptions, rather. We also make aggressive assumptions. And then we sort of take the middle between those two things. Mm-hmm. And that's how we think about what we're going to put in place. So that's right. So when things don't go right, how do you deal with setbacks? I love that. Um, we are an open kimono, big time feedback company. Um, we're very much uh, in favor of being candid with, with one another. When things go off the rails, we get everybody in a room. We have a big conference room in our office, get everybody in a room. Uh, we take off our stripes, leave all your egos out, <laughs> outside. Check it at the door. Check it at the door. Uh, the first thing that we do when we get in a room like that is put pure definition to the issue because many times I've seen this no less than a hundred times, maybe a thousand times you get in a room, you argue fuss and fight about something that is not the issue, but you collectively agree that it is the issue. And then you go out and you put what you think is the solution in place for that issue. And you find out later on that it is not the problem you were trying to solve in the first place. Mm. So we start out by arguing and fussing and fighting about the pure definition of the issue and whatever it be, whatever got you off the rails. And then, and only then do you start to think about how to put solutions in place uh, to fix the problem near term, but also to solve the problem long-term so that your processes and systems lead you to good outcomes instead of potentially bad outcomes. So for you personally, you you need let's say you're wanting feedback on something how what kind of feedback feels good to you or do you receive best oh this is awesome so i, I have a fantastic example so i am a big believer in being on time in fact i think you should be early to every meeting um so let's 
let's say it was last summer. I had a quarterly meeting, brought the entire team together. Let's say there's 20 people in the room. Two people came in late. I took advantage of that moment in time to make it abundantly clear that, that being late was not okay. And I put those two people on the spot. I did it in a way that I thought was very graceful. I didn't condemn them. I just, I told a broad story, sort of a macro thing, but, but the point to get the point across, but certainly those two felt the message because they were the two that walked in late. So after the fact, um, I'm a big believer in having someone in your organization that, that is not afraid to punch you in the nose. So after, <laughs> after that meeting uh, was over, I went to my, uh, my trusted feedback person. Nose I puncher. Said, I went to the nose puncher. I'm like, okay, I have this sort of spidey sense that that didn't go real, you know, like the story I'm telling myself. And they said, no, it did not. And here's, you know, where, where you could have, you could have taken those two individuals aside, had the same story, but not robbed their dignity in front of a lot of other people. And, and so for me, it's, it's uh, finding that person in your organization that is willing to punch you in the nose and asking for the feedback and making sure that that person that's willing to punch is doing it directly. Okay. So on something like that, how long did you think about that afterwards? Like, I'm just curious, how long does that stay in your brain as far as kind of, hmm, I don't feel so good about how that went. Yeah. So interesting. I made that remark at like nine o'clock. And if, if I understand your question directly or correctly, it stayed with me from nine o'clock until we ended the meeting at one o'clock. So I'm, I'm hosting the meeting. I'm having to do this entire hosting event. Right. But this thing is back here mm -hmm. in my, so it, it didn't go away. Um, yeah. It yeah. Didn't go. So you kind of had that inclination. Okay. So we talked about when things don't go well, I'm also equally interested in when things go well, how do you celebrate personally you, how do you celebrate successes or wins? So I hate to, to, to admit that I am terrible about celebration. I had uh, a sneaky suspicion, which is why I asked the question, because I find that I do too. And I was thinking, I'm, I want to know if Mike celebrates or if he's on to the next thing. Yeah, I, I'm not, I'm very much on to the next thing. And, and it's, it's a real, in fact, in our company at Radco. I, we have a fun committee. We have a fun <laughs> committee in part because Mike is not fun. Mike is just great. We got 10,000 units. Let's go get 10,000 more, right? Okay. Okay. <laughs> so that's a good way to kind of like, you know, reverse engineer something that is maybe not a strength for you, but you know that it's important. So, okay. That, that's a, That's a great answer. And it was I, honestly, I, I feel like I knew it, but I wanted to hear it out of your mouth myself. <laughs> okay, I want to switch gears just a little bit because I know among many of your interests is technology. So what are you most excited about when it comes to technology in the multifamily space? <laughs> so I, I'm so excited to even ask this question. <laughs> so. I, yeah, I want to know. Um, the thing I am most excited about right now is uh, GPT-3. Mm -hmm. um, generative AI and the content creation, uh, the ability to create content at a pace that is unmatched by any human by themselves. Um, for those, those that don't know what GPT-3 is, it, it's basically, if you go to the homepage, it's a search bar, just like Google, you can type a prompt into it. So you could say something like, 
write a script for a podcast with Mike Brewer today. And it will list out, um, if it knows who Mike Brewer is, some some people it doesn't uh, know, you might have to feed a few little prompts in there to tell them who Mike Brewer is, but it would literally spit out the 10 questions you might want to ask me today based on this big deal. We're getting set. replaced. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> I, you know, you could say that. I could agree with that. But I, I tend to think of it like, how cool is it that I now have an AI co-pilot that I could anytime, real time, delayed time, uh, consult for creative ideas or best questions, or it's not, I don't think it's going to replace us in the sense, now it might, it's getting pretty advanced. <laughs> this conversation could be happening and you and I could be, you could be in, you know, your weight room. I'm not now. really here right now, Mike. <laughs> oh, I knew it. There was something about the way you scratch your face that led me to. It doesn't feel natural. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very bullish on that technology and I'm very excited about it. I've been using it um, to write (laughs) coupled with Grammarly because I do think that GPT-3 doesn't write. It writes in a robot. You can tell that it's, but when you marry it up with Grammarly, and you use your own stories for illustration purposes, you can write pretty, pretty fun stuff and pretty, I guess, stuff that are called of real value. Um, That's exciting. I mean, I, as a, as a content creator, I'm excited. I mean, I, I joked about it and it is, there is like a little bit about, you know, I think there's a direction of thinking, oh, let's cut costs and replace I don't think that's the way that we should view it. I, I think exactly what you said. It's like it's like a personal assistant for that type of a work. But um, you've mentioned Grammarly, and I'm just and then your stories, and then I think there's also like your your ways to um, include your voice. Like I read some of your blogs, and it's very I can tell that this is your tone and your voice, and mine is you know definitely my own. So I think that's cool what you mentioned that there's like a coupling of all of these tools. But then the human component keeps it real personal. Yeah, that, that that's right. To that point, one of my goals this year is to write a book. And the, the book is going to be a daily entry, right? So 366 entries, you open it up on January the 1st, you read a very short thing. There might be a call to action at the bottom. There might not be. It, it might be provocative. It might be inspirational, motivational, compelling in some way. Um, and I've decided that I'm going to, it's going to be sort of a co-authored book me, the AI, and then um, Sharon Cawthon, who's part of the Multifamily Collective, would be, she, she's great at editing and writing and things like that. She's a, it'll be a collaborative effort between technology and two humans to, to get this book out into the world. <laughs> that would be so cool. So this is your project for this year. It is. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to get all the entries written by uh, March the 31st. I'm writing four a day. And it's only because of the AI that I'm, I'm able to produce that kind of volume. Um, so they're, they're, I'm calling it the crappy first draft, right? So yeah. the, the four that I'm writing in the morning are the four uh, crappy first drafts that'll ultimately be 366, but then we'll we'll start to work with that and try to get it done by the end of the year. Okay. I want to come back to that in a minute when I talk about your practice of your blog writing. But for now, I want to move on. So I got your thoughts on technology. I'm curious about a trend that we're seeing, you know, all over, let's say LinkedIn, but really everywhere of personal branding. What are your thoughts on it? Wow. I've been all over the board over the years. Um, 
about personal branding. This dates back to probably 2005, six, seven, when blog was kind of like, sounded like you were clearing your throat, not really a, oh, that's an article on the internet. (laughs) So I I thought back then, uh, and I'm a big fan of Tom Peters, who is a management and leadership guru. Mm -hmm. And he was into personal branding, like way back. He's the guy with the exclamation point, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And he's very bombastic and very opinionated, uh, but he lectures all over the world on personal brand. I think it, it's highly valuable if it's done in a tasteful way. And I think, I think there are personal brands out in the world that who knows, I, I, I imagine that there's an audience for everybody, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I think personal branding is important today in business because your influence and your personal brand can really help an organization. You can leverage your personal brand in an organization. So if I have 25,000 followers on LinkedIn or any other channel for that matter, and I show up at a, at a Radco with that kind of influence, my imagination tells me that I can really impact the business if done in a thoughtful way, in a very good way by drawing in talent or drawing in property assignments or uh, subject matter expertise that might not be a part of the company, but should be. So I I think I fall on the side of the fence that personal brand is important. You should build it, um, but you should do it in a thoughtful way that's that's not off-putting, at least in the business. What turns you off with personal branding that you've seen? I, I think, um, I try to say this in the kindest sense. So when I think about the sort of the Kardashian version of this or the reality TV version of a personal brand, I and and over, the oversharing that comes along with that type of brand identity, I I just think there's something that is not. It doesn't feel authentic. It feels scripted. It feels uh, clickbaity. It feels um, we're doing it for the monetization. We're not doing it because we really want to share value. We just want to suck the oxygen out of the room and be the center of attention and. That's a Mike Brewer thing. I don't like that. (laughs) Yeah. No, I, I I was, that's, that's, that's actually a great perspective on it. I I was listening to a Tim Ferriss podcast and he said something that kind of is along the same lines. He said, you know, there's a lot of creators that will create something and they'll look at their analytics and then they'll say, oh my gosh, this very radical post that I did got the best engagement out of 10 posts. So all of a sudden they become a hundred percent, this radical personality that initially was not really who they were. It was just like all of us. Like you, you have occasionally one thing you're super passionate about and you might speak out a term, but because that appealed, now they've formed their whole identity around this. And I thought, and then it was his interview with James Clear. And he said, um, and then before you know it, you've cast so many votes that that is truly who you become. And, you know, earlier you and I were talking about like LinkedIn and I thought, that's something that I'm going to be really mindful of is, is it the content from the heart or is it the content that gets engagement because it's, it's a slippery slope and that personal brand thing. Yeah, I think you're, you're totally right about that. I, and that, that interview was awesome. I, and to your point, the, I like what James said in that interview, when he said, think about the person that you want to be. And then every behavior is casting a vote for that person you want to be, or it's not. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. I love that you use that. That is such a perfect analogy for, for branding. And then 
you know, just really being thoughtful about who you want to be out in the world. Um, because guess what? It lives on it lives forever. On. Yeah, it does. So I think that is something really great that people can kind of get different perspectives and what resonates. And it's kind of, to me, like personalities, you know, you go to a party, there might be that super loud person that you don't gravitate to, but there are people that love that super loud person. So I think if it's authentic, go for it. Agreed. Yeah, I think I I 100% agree with that. It's the manufactured version of that that seems off, off putting, right? That I agree with you. Be yourself, be who you are. And so you and I share a love of learning, reading, listening to podcasts. I feel like, you know, I always feel behind on my reading when I see all the things (laughs) you're reading. So thank you for making me feel like (laughs) I have not done enough. So I'm just curious as this avid reader that I know you to be, I also know you reread stuff. What are some of the top books on leadership or impact that you feel young leaders would benefit from looking at? Yeah, so I I always lead with the Bible, and it it's certainly not from a religious context. I mean, I I am a believer, and and I believe in the Bible for lots of different reasons. But I also I believe in the Bible as just a an incredible evergreen piece of literary work that if you really read it, it it can be the SOP for your life, right? In in its essence, it's great character development, right? Mm-hmm. So I always lead with that one. The, there's a book called As a Man Thinketh. Um, James Allen wrote it. Um, it's a very, it's almost a pamphlet. And you have to read it at least 25 times before it really starts to imbue in your mind. And it's written, it's very old. So it's written in a way that it's not modern or contemporary literature and it's not easy to soak in. So I love that book. Think and Grow Rich, which was written by Napoleon Hill, has been a fan. Well, I'm the fan. I'm a fan favorite. I've loved that book. I read it in like when I was 23 years old, I was, uh, I went to work for Remax town and country selling single family homes. And, and for some reason it, it came across my desk. Um, and then the daily stoic, which I bought in San Antonio, which is where I think, I think you live outside of San Antonio. Yes. I bought it in the San Antonio airport in 2016 and I've read it every day. Uh, from the day I picked it up on October the 20th, uh, 2016. So every day, it's one of the da- daily entry books. And it is completely held together by tape. I saw a picture. Yes, it's right here. It's like totally. <laughs> I mean, that's like, yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the, the last one I would share would be The Untethered Soul. Um, the, the author's name is escaping me at the moment. But the, the essence of that book is really finding your voice and living it out in a true an authentic way, uh, which is very, very hard to do, I think, in a consumer or world driven by consumerism. You, you often get sucked into an avenue that you wake up 20 years from now and you look back and you go, oh man, I really, I blew the last 20 years. I wish I would have taken a different path. So so true. There, uh, There's a couple <clears throat> there that I have not read that I'm going to add to my list. So I am so curious because the multifamily collective, I know I've joked and I call you, you know, MBVOG because it's like, I don't know how you have done it for so long. How have you been so consistent with either writing your blog, your, you know, your daily, I mean, these are, this is a long-standing practice. Yeah, it, it does date back to, to 2006. I think I wrote my, my very first blog was called Mike Brewer on stuff and things. <laughs> Okay, maybe that's the name of this podcast episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 
Yeah. And I wrote about a solar powered trash can. That was, Oh my goodness. That's your, that was your first big coming out on, on your blog. Yeah. My coming out party was a solar power, a solar powered trash can in Portland, Oregon, uh, under the, under the title of Mike. So to answer your question, I, I think it's in part, um, going back to the Asperger's thing, I, my brain is wired to be rote routine. And when I set my mind to something, um, it, it, and I create a habit out of it, it's almost impossible for me to break the habit. Um, because I, I feel like it's a personal failure not to like do it. So in the, in the case of the blog to not do it every day, it feels like me failing at something and I don't like failing. And so it just has been, and I love it. I guess the other part I put in there is that I really love sharing uh, with the industry. And I like to believe in my heart of hearts that there is some value that people get from just a daily, whether it be an inspirational thing or me opining on something, or I try to very rarely share controversial opinions, but yeah, (laughs) I just, I like to believe that there's somebody out there even if it's one person that gets something from it, that that's uh, there's something deeply embedded in that, that is valuable. Well, that's incredible perseverance and commitment. I mean, those qualities really shine through just in hearing, you know, that cause I'm sure there's the days that maybe you don't want to, but you're showing up for yourself and for others. Yeah, that I, I think that's right. It's fair to say there are days that I show up and I don't, don't want to do it, but uh yeah, something else says you should do that. Should do <laughs> and then it. I listen yeah. to that. <laughs> so your inspiration, is it coming from what you're reading, what you're listening to, what or what you're seeing in the field? Or give me a little insight into that. Oh, Barbara, it really is all over the place. It's everything that you just said. It's it's books, it's articles, it's um I trail run. Um so a lot of times my ideas come when I'm out on the trail running. <laughs> they just pop in there and uh do you stop and jot them down somewhere? What, what's your process? No. Um, so the answer to that question is no. There have been times when, if I can remember it, because many times those things, as fast as they fly in, they fly out. Yeah. Um, but there have been times that after a run, if it's hung on the entire time, I will stop and, and literally do a little video thing with myself, which I do publish sometimes. But other times it's just a prompt for me to go back and sit down with and and uh, noodle over before I put something out into the world. Okay. Very cool. So, you know, some of the posts that I've loved over the years, you actually hit on a recent one when you talked about diseased sheep in an organization. And I loved it because you referenced, you know, a lot of times people hear about the apple that spoils the bunch, but you talked about it as a diseased sheep. And I, you know, how for you, what qualities would you see in a team an an employee that you would think, okay, there's not a lot of coming back from that. Yeah, that's, that is a great question. Um, I'm trying to think about the most diplomatic way to answer that. I, I want think, the unfiltered version. <laughs> I think, uh, I think when, when you see, um, when you see fiefdoms or fiefdoms, however you pronounce that word, starting to develop within the organization. I guess a better way to say that was, is if you see a culture developing within a culture Mm -hmm. and there's a 
a ringleader of that sort of subculture within the culture. And you start to see that that particular team starts to operate differently than the broader culture, meaning there's happy hour for this group, but the rest are not coming in. Or there's a separate activity that this group is doing. Now, some of that team building, I, I think, is, is appropriate. But when that starts to sort of manifest itself in the way of, well, that's not quite the way we do. I hear you that you need that. I can do that by Friday. I know you need it by tomorrow. And that sort of stuff starts to mm -hmm. present itself. I think that's, those are the real tells when you have somebody that's really creating a subculture within your culture. And Okay. They're kind of like creating some discord, maybe underneath the radar, subverting leadership, even by just or even separatism. I like how you said that. It's like, yeah, not everybody always has to be invited, but if it's consistently that it's only this group, it's like, why if we're a team? That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So it's uh, when they're a lot less collaborative than the broader idea and the broader principle for the organization. I think that's the that's the real tell when you know you've got a diseased uh, diseased sheep in your and take them out to pasture. There's the, the unfiltered yeah. version. <laughs> okay, you also talk a lot about critical thinking. And I it seems to me just in, I've seen that theme come up in a lot of your content. And how would someone develop that if they don't consider themselves maybe a critical thinker naturally? So I, that I have learned, I didn't come into the business world as a creative thinker. It was, it was more, I'm sorry critical thinker. I came in more as a creative thinker, right? And problem solving, but critically thinking, I, I started to teach and train myself later in my career by asking why, 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 right? Right. <laughs> There's a five why principle. And so if somebody asks you for a report and you just give them the data, you've done nothing for yourself in the way of thinking critically. But if they ask you for a report and you simply say, why, why are you looking for that? Or what are you looking yeah. for? Right. And you understand how another person thinks about that. That's sort of a little rep that you can do to start the creative muscle be, to, to build. Right. And then the next time that person asks you for the report, you might be able to go a little bit deeper. Oh, I know you're asking for this reason you know, traffic trends or closing trends, but I also took the time to think about mm. X, Y, Z in case that's valuable to you. Here you go. Um, or let's use a budget example. If, uh, if an analyst is looking at a budget or uh, an actual comes in and the water bill is $50,000, but it's normally trending at $25,000, um, just passing the, the report on without going. What's going on? wait a minute, right? So yeah. it's just being really mindful and, and really training yourself to ask extra questions and ask why, why, why to, to get yourself in sort of a creative or a critical thinking muscle building mold. Yeah. And I love that you said even just emulating others, like seeing how they think, you know, following a critical thinker and seeing, okay, how is, the, what's the thought process? If this always follows this specific next time, I don't need to wait for them to point me in that direction. So I like that it feels like it's a skill you can develop, even if it doesn't come naturally initially. That's right. Yeah. It's, I think it's very, it's very easy to build. And I think it's always, the other thing I would add, not under the premise of being combative, but if somebody gives you a piece of information and you have even an inkling of a sort of spidey sense going off in your head, go ahead and ask the question because yeah. it's 
<laughs> we all sell stuff to each other every day. <laughs> and sometimes we're representing it in a way that doesn't expose the entire set of data, right? We're not, we're white lying ourselves. I mean, we're white lying. So we, we should, if we feel the spidey sense, we should ask the extra question. Good tip there. So as we're wrapping up, I just have a couple more questions. I think about the property managers that listen to this podcast. And sometimes when I have a CEO or a COO, I don't want them ever to feel disconnected from the podcast because initially that was the audience that I started and it's expanded. I want everybody to enjoy it, but I have such a, um, you know, I've had that, that love for the property manager. I know how much they go through. So as an operator, what advice would you give to property managers or what's something you wish that they knew or heard more of? I always default to, to think like an owner um, is the best piece of advice that, that I could ever give anyone. And it's very hard to do because you, you don't have the skin in the game. You're not exposed to the type of risk that an owner is exposed to, meaning money and finance, right? Uh, but if you can somehow get yourself into the mindset that I, I often phrase the question like this. Hey, Barbara, if this was not, you know, radius West Midtown, but rather Barbara West Midtown, and you were signing the checks for this deal, what decision would you make? Right. Or would this person work for you if you own the building and your name was on the side of it? And, and that helps you get into that owner's mindset, even though you don't have the money in the game. Um, or the risk, or you're not at risk. Um, so whatever you can do to get yourself in that mindset and thinking like an owner, it, it's a, it'll open up a whole new world for you uh, as a property manager. That is great advice. And it really ties back to the critical thinking piece to say, what would I be doing if I was in? And I like the putting your name in it, because I think mm -hmm. you could say, what would I do if I own this place? But man, when you put my name in it, and I'm thinking about writing that check, things start to really, you know, you think differently. And yes, would I want to hire this person? Well, I don't know. I would, I don't know, you know, so really that's that critical thinking piece. That's right. That's yeah, very good time. So where is your focus in 2023? If we're talking about your laser focus, where's it going? Um, and I, so I think many people are thinking this way, so it may not be my novel thought. It may be the collection of things that I've read <laughs> over the past 24 months, uh, plus minus, I'm really focused on growth in our organization. We're on a mission to get to 10,000 units and then ultimately to 25,000 plus minus um, combination of third party and owned assets. Um, but processes, uh, systems, disciplines, and routines in our organization, we really want to tighten those up. Um, and, and that relates to every discipline. Uh, it's cross-departmental. Uh, cost control, because I think that Certainly inflation has impacted the cost of goods all across the board. So we're being very thoughtful, thoughtful about uh, costs. Uh, the other thing is learning and development. I, I think if you want to be a world-class organization, an excellent organization or a perfect organization, you can't do it without over-investment on the learning and development side, be it leadership and or skill development. So we're, I'm thinking a lot about that and how we make application of that and how we make that a collective effort and what, what systems and processes we use to, to get that uh, training done this year and in the out years. Yeah, that's exciting. Those are some great, great goals and objectives that you guys are going to have. So I think I just would love to know if this was, if you were not Mike Brewer multifamily, what would you be doing? Wow, I can tell you exactly what I'd be doing. I'd be living on a mountain 
uh, in a cabin next to either a river or a lake. But if I wasn't on one, I would be very close to the other. Um, and I would be doing a lot of writing and trail running and journaling and uh, traveling. So is that <laughs> going to be a reality, Mike? Is that going to happen someday? Is that the plan? Yeah, that's on my my list of goals. Uh, yeah, in the next uh, probably five to seven years, that's exactly where I'll be and exactly what I'll be doing. But uh, I think if you're asking me from a business perspective, I I don't know what I would be doing. I've been doing this very thing my entire life. No one's ever asked me that question, so I've never given it any thought. I I don't know the answer. <laughs> well, I like where you're going. That sounds like the, like a wonderful compilation of all the things that you love now. But I will say, Mike, what I love is that you found a way to bring a lot of those things in to your day to day now. So it's like you're not really delaying that gratification till you retire. There's elements of that. You're just going to pile it on really thick at the end. But I like that you have incorporated those things to create a joyful life now in the moment. Yeah, yeah, I think that's I. I recently heard, not to get long-winded, but I recently heard an interview with somebody, uh, I think the, the name of the book was uh, Die With Zero. And really the, the thesis of that book is, look, don't wait until you're 50, 60, 70 years old to start enjoying life. Mm -hmm. Enjoy it along the way and make investment in not just your business or in someone else's business, but rather in your yourself and who you want to be and who you want to become and be thoughtful about that exercise, be it, be it traveling be it learning a new skill, be it I'm taking my daughter to learn how to make matcha tea in a couple of weeks, you know, just things just like, like that. That is yeah. so cool. That is so cool. Well, I've loved following you online and also just getting to know you professionally and just a little bit about you. This has been such a treat because I feel like these are questions I've kind of wanted to dig into. Thank you for being so generous with your time and all the TMI that was not TMI. I just thank you for sharing so openly. Yeah, no, th thank you. I, I appreciate that. Um, I appreciate you inviting me on. I, I have uh, tracked you for quite a few years and, and I really appreciate your work and the way you show up in the world. It's uh, it's inspiring, frankly, both your personal life that you share, uh, all the farm activity. I love the, <laughs> I love the farm animals in the, in the garden, uh, but just who you are uh, uniquely as a human. So thank you. Thank you, Mike. We got to do this again and we're going to talk books soon. I love it. <laughs> All right, guys, that's it for this episode. We'll see you next week on Marketing Home, Marketing You.